Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Thanks for coming back again for another interview. Hope you've enjoyed those that you've already listened to and are looking forward to hearing from this week's guest. Just a word about sponsors, and I'm thrilled to announce that along with Messina Covers and the Eastman Music Company, we now have Pickett Blackburn as a sponsor. Trumpet players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, maybe even more so than other players. And if you've got an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers is where you need to go. Erica Howard and David Messina will help you design the ideal case and in some pretty crazy colors. They also offer mouthpiece pouch options and not just trumpet bags, but now you can get a case made for just about anything you can imagine. Be sure to check them out at MessinaCovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company. Eastman offers a complete line of brass instruments from the beginner all the way up to the professional. And of course, with SE Shires, you now have the Q-Series and the professional models. The legendary Doc Severinsen even helped design Eastman's beginner trumpet model. You can find more information about the Eastman Music Company at eastmanwinds.com. And you can learn more about the SE Shires line of instruments at seshires.com. Pickett Blackburn has certainly established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance yet to try any of the stock or even some of the custom mouthpieces available through Pickett, you can check them out online at pickettblackburn.com. And of course, the Blackburn side of Pickett Blackburn includes their incredible line of trumpets, endorsed by such great musicians as Vince DiMartino. Again, be sure to check them out at picketblackburn.com, and Picket is with two T's. Before we get to today's interview, just a reminder that you can be a financial supporter for this podcast by subscribing at patreon.com slash studio HFL. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash studio HFL. There are four levels of support offered, and you can choose the one that best fits your budget. Your support will help offset the cost of production for this podcast and would be greatly appreciated. Please consider becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studio HFL. And now on to today's interview. Welcome. I'm, I'm so glad that you accepted the invitation for this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks yeah. for thinking of me. This podcast started, it was just trumpet. And I know a lot of trumpet stuff. And when I started branching out into low brass, I'm like, holy cow, this is this is really unfamiliar territory. But realize we still have so many connections. And you guys might actually, you guys, you know, being the, the low brass, uh, might actually have some good stories and good information to share as well. So my, my fear of talking to, to the trombones and horns and tubas of the world is, is slowly disappearing. <laughs> Crossing over into bass clef land. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, 8VA we're good with. 8VB, right. not so much. Well, I've already talked more than I want to. I, I would love to uh, say welcome. Uh, let's start with, let me know, uh, and everybody else who's going to listen to this, hopefully the thousands and thousands who are going to hear this. We'll start with where you are right now, kind of what's going on, maybe some projects you're working on at the moment in sure. the pandemic. So Yeah, sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, well, it's nice to be here. Thanks again mm -hmm. for the invitation. Uh, I currently teach at Arizona State University, tuba and euphonium, and music entrepreneurship, and coach chamber music, and... Uh, 
current projects right now include some recording this summer of pieces mm -hmm. that I've commissioned and haven't had the opportunity yet to record. So I'm working on that. And also, uh, I, I mentioned I teach music entrepreneurship. So I'm doing some research this summer and planning to write an article about music entrepreneurship in mm -hmm. colleges, universities, and uh, that sort you know, of thing. That's actually a, a, a great uh, jumping off point because what I recall from another interview is you had delved into developing a school show. Uh, I can't remember for what was it certain grades or was it all grades? And yeah, it was uh, it was presented for K through six, but it was intended f to recruit and to help music educators recruit for band and orchestra programs. So it was targeted a little bit toward that fourth grade, fifth grade uh, mm -hmm. age group, and that was that was called band. Well, it was initially called brass rap, mm -hmm. and it uh, evolved into band blast off, which uh, <laughs> was a video that was actually uh, produced by uh, and supported by uh, Eastman and Accent Instruments at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, there's a blast support. from the past, right? I know, Accent. right? Yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So would you have considered that maybe one of the first entrepreneurial things or did, were you thinking of it, those terms at that point? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I wasn't thinking of it in those terms at that time. I think what I currently do is a result of those things that that I did and how I uh, it was well it was a business it turned mm -hmm. into a business unknowingly <laughs> mm -hmm. it was an idea of having a uh, a one-woman show that I could travel easily travel with and mm -hmm. present and perform and uh, and it turned into a business my first relationship was with the Getson company mm -hmm. as a Getson artist and they that was the time they still mailed out newsletters it was a paper newsletter <laughs> and they wanted to run an ad in their newsletter uh, to music educators offering the brass rap program as a tool for recruitment mm -hmm. and i'll never forget well i remember getting that piece of paper in the mail the flyer the newsletter mm -hmm. and thought wow this is this is really cool you know mm -hmm. At the follow-up on that, though, was even more astounding. Uh, that that year alone, I had like a hundred phone calls from music educators in the Midwest, mm -hmm. in particular, uh, and that's when I started working with music stores and uh, music dealers who were interested in bringing me in as their guest mm -hmm. to help facilitate and present for their music educators and part of the rental nights, it mm -hmm. actually became a bigger deal than I had ever imagined. <laughs> but at that point it was becoming a business and I, I had yeah. to learn quickly how to, how to organize myself in terms of business skills and marketing and that sort of thing. So had you had any previous experience with business or like most musicians coming out of college? Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> actually, fortunately I had the opportunity to work uh, two years prior to that in Denver, Colorado with the Denver Brass. And I was working mm. with Kathy Brannigan, who's the executive director of that organization. And I mm -hmm. learned a ton from her mm -hmm. uh, and how her business operated. And um, so I, I'm grateful to her for that knowledge and right. for being able to spend time with her learning 
the skills. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and are these things that have evolved into the entrepreneurial program classes that you teach? Yeah, definitely. Um, it, the course that I teach, I teach two courses now. Uh, one is an introduction to entrepreneurship and, you know, it's partly uh, looking at your career uh, in a new way, mm -hmm. um, uh, organizing yourself, so organizing your online portfolio and mm -hmm. how you're presenting yourself. Um, and, uh, and then coming up with an idea and being able to initiate your idea and pitch your idea, thinking about how we, how we uh, look for funding and support in the projects that we do. I, I'm starting uh, to, to panic and sweat already. As soon as you said, <laughs> looking for, you know, I know. I mean, that, that thought of grant writing, that thought of yeah. asking for something is so right. foreign to, you know, the, the freelancer or, or any working musician. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And part of it is, well, part of it's the knowledge. It's also the confidence of learning how to speak about yourself and what it is that you do in mm -hmm. a confident, positive way mm -hmm. that is enticing to other people. And it fits a need. I always think about it as it's finding the gap in your community or, mm -hmm. or finding the need and tailoring what you have to offer to fit that need. Mm -hmm. And then it's something that people want as a result and we'll pay money to get well, it. It, doesn't that kind of go along, uh, you know, when the iPhone first came out, that there, was, there wasn't a need. Nobody needed it, right? But Apple created this perception that we needed this, you know? That's right. So it's, it, it, that's really marketing is to create the perception that you need what I have to offer. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. wow, maybe I should teach. Uh, <laughs> 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 and, and that's the extent of my expertise with that right there. Uh, so, so how long is this entrepreneurial class or program at, at Arizona? Uh, that is a class that I offer in the fall semester, and it's followed by a course in the spring semester that is a product development course. And that's where you take your idea that you've pitched in the class in the fall, and you develop that idea, bringing it to fruition. So mm -hmm. you're, um, you're thinking about who your customers are specifically, and you're you're developing your marketing and your branding. Mm -hmm. uh, and also this semester, it was really fun. We worked with a, an actual company uh, in Florida that was a, uh, a, tour, a, a touring company that, that books, uh, in particular, schedules bands and orchestras to travel to places mm -hmm. like Carnegie Hall, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So we, we had the opportunity to pair with an organization and help them with their mar own marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. That was really fun, too, in combination with that class and personal projects. And then mm -hmm. at ASU, uh, I just helped design the Music Entrepreneurship Certificate. So a student can oh. uh, do 15 credits and mm -hmm. have something more of value to their perhaps their music performance degree or their mm -hmm. education degree mm -hmm. um, choosing courses that they're interested in that mm -hmm. can help support and create more value for mm -hmm. what it is they're going to be doing in their career mm -hmm. how many years have you been teaching that course oh i think i started it you know i taught at western michigan for mm -hmm. seven years before asu and i, ha I initiated that course there. So probably 10 to 12 years now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it evolves every year. You know, it's it's fun. I learn a ton every year. I feel like I'm learning and relearning just because well, everything moves so fast. Right. right? It's got to be a, a really fluid uh, class. I mean, you, and and even to think about, you know, if you went back to brass rap or or what was the other name? Uh, uh, band blast off. Band yeah. blast. You know, think about the evolution in not just technology, but the the way that we communicate uh, musically these days with YouTube and Snapchat and uh, Zoom. (laughs) And I I just think, you know, it's going to be different next year too, right? It's going to be different the the year after then. Well, especially now uh, with what we've been going through in the quarantine time, (laughs) I think we have to really look at our business in a different way, in a new way. I take it as an inspiration instead of uh, the opposite. I think we have to, it's important. We, as the artist musician, we have to help our audience and our community understand the value, still the value of music, live arts, and help reframe and help retool how they're going to experience those those events. Mm -hmm. It'll be very different for a while at least, hopefully, we can come back to a sense of normalcy, but maybe this will push us in a direction that mm-hmm. is something, I don't know, something that has been needed for a, a refreshing. Mm-hmm. Let's hope, Let's you know, hope. and, and yeah. obviously there's, yeah. there's never going to be a substitution for sitting next to your student or right. playing, you know, no. from the edge of the stage, looking at your audience in the eye and making right. that connection like right. that. So, right. yeah, I think we're all very hopeful, but it is encouraging uh, you know, to, to look at YouTube and Facebook and see how many people, the creativity that has already right. been spawned by It's amazing. By yes, yes. Know. The forced creative act. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate yeah. that. Have, have you taken part in that yet? Have you published any uh, videos? Uh, yeah, well, a couple things. Uh, we had a, uh, in particular, or specifically at ASU, we had a community uh, you know, engagement kind of thing. And uh, mm-hmm. it was the challenge to use acapella and create a couple of things. So right. I, uh, I featured the didgeridoo. I did a didgeridoo quartet <laughs> on one, didgeridoo jam, uh, and, uh, and then a tuba duet. Yeah. So uh, yeah. do they have B flat, E flat, F and C didgeridoos? Is that? Uh... <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> well, you know what? I bet Ryan Richmond, if you talk to him, he would be, I'm on it. He would be right. Like, Let's Eastman's going to develop that right away. Right. So, <laughs> so, um, so you, you had also mentioned some pieces you'd had commissioned. Were these solo tuba pieces? Yes. Uh, one in particular by a composer, an Israeli composer uh, named Amit Viner. Mm-hmm. And it was a pleasure working with him. I, uh, performed, I premiered a, a work of his with my horn colleague uh, at a composition conference. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, we performed it with him as well. He was in attendance. And mm-hmm. the music was so engaging and powerful and interesting, very colorful writing. And mm-hmm. I asked if he would be interested in writing a piece for, uh, for tuba and piano. And, mm-hmm. and he related it to a poem that I loved when I was growing up, I recited this poem in the seventh grade by Jenny Joseph called When I Am Old. And uh, it's, it actually is a, a movement that developed into the, uh, the purple, is it 
the purple and red, the red hat ladies <laughs> organization. Oh, right. Right. Uh, so he modeled this piece after, uh, after that poem, using that poem as the mm -hmm. inspiration. And uh, it's really, it's a beautiful piece. And it includes uh, playing tambourine with the foot in one movement while you're playing. Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. really fun. It's a nice piece. So do you work the, uh, the poem into the piece at all? Or is it just the inspiration? It's the inspiration. Uh, I typically read the poem before I perform it. Mm -hmm. and uh or project it yeah you know, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so it, that's interesting you know you think about uh, uh commissions and that's a big deal because you're going to spend a lot of money typically um, but having a composer that you believe in and trust um that can be a i think an intimidating step sometimes but it didn't sound like it was necessarily that way with amit no, it's, uh, you know, I, I always consider the commissioning is about relationship building, uh, developing a relationship with a composer, someone who then wants to write for you and uh, expand upon what has already been done for the instrument. So mm -hmm. it becomes a relationship. And yes, there's an exchange, of course, that, that mm -hmm. goes on mm -hmm. monetary, but we're in, I consider it as investing in our oh, repertoire for the future. And mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, it, it's exciting. It's exciting. And yeah, typically if it's a relationship, it ends up being a good, a win-win for everybody. Any, uh, I don't know the trend these days um, with multiphonics uh, in, in low brass, you know, I know uh, Jim Stevenson writes for Rex Richardson and Rex right. includes a lot of multiphonics. Is that becoming kind of the, I don't want to say trick, but is that becoming a natural, normal part of? Yes, I think it's more, you hear it and see it more often. And mm -hmm. this piece actually includes some of that as well. Multiphonics and I think, yeah, multiphonics and then playing a tambourine with the foot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He wanted, well, when he, prior to writing, he asked uh, what techniques can be done on the tuba? Is there something I should write for? <laughs> he hadn't written for the tuba specifically, mm -hmm. you know, except the the horn tuba piece. So yeah, he was experimenting a little bit as well, yeah. but it was effective. effective. Mm -hmm. So you, you haven't premiered this piece yet? I did actually. I premiered oh, okay. it in Spain at a, a tuba conference in Spain. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then the premiere here in the United States was in the Phoenix area at a museum Mm -hmm. um, so yes, it's been, it has now been performed quite a bit. I think I'm ready to record it. <laughs> you know, that, that you have to live with the piece for a while. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that um, I auditioned for Dallas Brass back in 2011. So after I, I didn't get that gig with, with that group, uh, I started my own. And cool. uh, what I learned uh, as we were looking at recording things is, the longer you're on the road with it, the better it's going to be once you get to the recording studio because you really have to <laughs> spend time. You have to know those charts right. inside and out. And that was a huge learning curve for me yeah. on that. So anyways, I'll edit back in oh, at this cool. point. Oh, that's cool. What's the group? Uh, it's on the back burner now, but it was called The Forge. Cool. And all classic rock. And I was using my Yamaha Silent Brass. I was playing all the guitar solos. Oh, very cool. Original ah, key. Wow. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> origi cool. 
original key, original form, uh, which, you know, eight and a half minutes of cashmere, you know, <laughs> right. the full stairway and, and learning wow. the solos for these things was what well, was a blast. First of all, you know, it was music I grew up with and, and right. you know, but you're instead you're playing the Leonard B. Smith book instead of learning, you know, Zeppelin transcriptions. Yes. Know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was a blast. It just, but it took so much money and so much time in the showcasing you know, even Dallas Brass, you know, we met up at, at showcases, you know, they were still, yeah. they were still having to do that thing too. And it just got to the point where, you know, I had to back away for a little bit. So yeah. it's, it's, I'm thinking now back to the entrepreneurial thing. It's like, sometimes you don't know until you actually live that part of it. You know, you could go through a business class, right? Right. But it's not going to make sense <laughs> until right. you're until on the road. That's it. And right. booking until you're and, doing it. and doing all that stuff. So yeah. Yeah, so let's think of chamber music. You said you're coaching chamber music, but are you still participating? I mean, outside of Arizona State, are you still participating in some sort of chamber uh, you know, stuff? Occasionally, I, I get called to sub with the Dallas Brass, which is mm -hmm. fun. Um, and that gets me back out there on the road mm -hmm. doing that. We do have a faculty brass quintet at ASU that mm -hmm. actually started this year and mm -hmm. uh, with a new trumpet hire and it's really a lot of fun. It's really yeah. fun. It's nice uh, to be back in playing chamber music. Yeah, kind of a no name, no name guy uh, that took that job, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Joe Bergstaller yeah. is amazing. I appreciate him as a colleague so much, and uh, and actually one of our uh, the the trumpet player, the other trumpet player in the group is currently plays with Dallas Brass, and he's uh, completing his doctorate at ASU. Mm -hmm and helps teach the entrepreneurship workshops. It's really wow. terrific. It's a nice combination. That all ties yeah, together. So we're fortunate right now. I, yeah, well, and it's cool with Bergstaller there too, because that's a continuation of the Hickman legacy, right? I mean, he came out of right. Hickman studio. Right. So yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. I, I was looking online right before the interview and there's a, there's a great picture of your studio. It's not a small group. <laughs> Yeah, we're, you know, we're usually 18 to 20 strong. <laughs> yeah, and but that's all tuba and euphonium. Right? Tubas and euphs, yep. Yeah. Yeah, it makes for a nice tuba euphonium ensemble, for sure. Mm -hmm. Great sounds, mm -hmm. and uh, it's great. They're great students, and I, I consider myself at this point in terms of pedagogy to be a holistic teacher. Um, you know, mm -hmm. of course, we, we do focus on the traditional... Uh, learning excerpts and, mm -hmm. and the traditional repertoire. Uh, I really want my students to be flexible and to be able to play all styles of music and, mm -hmm. and to improvise and to express their creative uh, side of things. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Paul, yeah. I, I don't know if you know the name Paul Mergen. Uh, he came, yeah. out of the, came out of the president's zone, but he's a tuba player here in Indy. Anyways, oh, cool. I, I, I talked to him a week or so ago and we're talking about tuba rep and I said, wait, isn't it just one five one five one five? Yes, well, and mostly he goes, yes. <laughs> he says, well, you know, occasionally you get, you know, a little, but, you know, I mean, this, but this is a trumpet player's perception of what goes on down, you know, down at the other end of the section is like, uh, yeah, you guys, you guys do occasionally play something of substance, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Occasionally yeah. we get a, a two five one turnaround or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, here we are at the middle of today's episode. Just a quick reminder about our sponsors. With Messina Covers, able to cover literally all of your custom case needs. The Eastman Music Company, providing excellence from the professional model all the way down to the beginner model. And of course, Pickett Blackburn, providing you with multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now back to today's interview. So with your uh, tuba youth students, do you have them cross over? Do, do they each have to learn the other instrument? Uh, graduate students do, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, undergrad, I have a mix of music education and music performance. I do, mm -hmm. and all of my music ed students are playing a lot of instruments, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm happy about that. Uh, mm -hmm. But music performance, I, I do encourage my students to have a double of mm -hmm. some sort and not necessarily uh, the tuba or the euphonium as a double, but mm. um, for the grad students, yes, in particular, because that crossover is important now in applying for college teaching positions. Typically, mm -hmm. more often than not, the position is advertised as a tuba position, mm -hmm. uh, teaching tuba and euphonium. Uh, and oftentimes they, they want to hear you play both instruments. Uh, often there'll be a, a brass quintet involved, so mm -hmm. tuba is predominant. But, but there are so many people right now who are great doublers. So if you've got that in your back pocket, mm -hmm. you're strong. I want to go back. You, you talked about your pedagogical, pedagogical uh, approach being more holistic. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, you know, I, I guess thinking about it being holistic, um, being smart about the way you practice and play your instrument, um, being equally being a great player and a great teacher because I think that we're all performers and we're all teachers at some point in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to uh, learn that early on and have opportunities to, or outlet, have an outlet for that early on. Mm -hmm. um, I like for all of my students to be entrepreneurial in some way. So if they have a, a chamber group, uh, they organize that chamber group and think about how they're going to get into the community What's the name mm -hmm. of the group? What are you charging for your, the event that you're playing for? Uh, mm -hmm. Who needs what you have to offer? Mm -hmm. uh, so teaching entrepreneurial skills through chamber music, I think in particular, but we do, we do a lot of that in the studio as well. Um, developing relationships within the community and thinking mm -hmm. more about your, your community and where you are and not just about being the best tuba player or the best euphonium player. Mm -hmm. Be a great musician, first and foremost, and mm -hmm. tuba or euphonium is your voice. But it's also a tool to build relationships with people in your community, and which always leads to bigger things in some way, mm -hmm. uh, a project or making it a better place to be. Um, and then being a flexible musician as well. So being able to play different styles if you get called to do a Dixieland mm -hmm. gig or uh, to play 
an improvised solo in a piece, you can say yes and mm -hmm. not be totally fearful of it. You know, right. <laughs> been there, done that. Right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like you know, just encompassing that whole mm -hmm. uh, the wheel with the spokes coming out of it. How many different ways can you do something, and how many different things can you do? Mm -hmm. So what it's it sounds important. like, I, I really like uh, the way you said that. To me, I was thinking, you know, you're taking it from a, a me and making it a we kind mm -hmm. of thing, you know, and realizing that what we have to do really contributes. We're, we're contributing to things, yeah. right? And you yeah. talk about those relationships and, you know, and it's beyond, right, just our colleagues that we sit with in an orchestra or a quintet. Right. Or, so I, you know, um, I wouldn't say that I would have agreed with that 20 years ago because I was still young and dumb and now I'm, now I'm old and dumb, you know. Well, we all, <laughs> <laughs> we're all there. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's helping the students, helping students realize earlier in their lives the importance of community and mm -hmm. just thinking bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. So how many, when, yeah. yeah, how many years now at Arizona State? This is eight years, I think going on my ninth. Wow, congratulations. Flown. Thank you. Thanks yeah. very much. And, and Western Michigan right before that, is that right? Western Michigan before that. Uh, was Bob White there when, uh, when you were there? No, uh, Steve Jones and Scott Thornburg. Right. And right. just loved, loved both of them. Amazing mm -hmm. musicians, great people. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and how long were you there? Yeah. Seven years. Mm -hmm. and, and prior to that? Prior to that, I taught at UNLV in Las Vegas. I taught three years adjunct. And, you know, coming back to this idea of having a career that's sort of, you know, thinking about the wheel with the spokes. And at that time, I was, I was touring with Dallas Brass. I was touring with my kids program, Brass Rap, mm -hmm. teaching at UNLV. I had a, but I was living in Phoenix and I had a private studio there mm -hmm. and uh, soloing with bands and orchestras, uh, really just developing this career that it was all the things I loved doing. I just, mm -hmm. I loved doing all of those things. When the opportunity to be in a place and put some roots down, uh, that became an option at Western mm -hmm. Michigan University uh, with a full-time faculty quintet. Mm -hmm. That was, I, I was excited about that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I had spent probably 10 years touring, traveling, kind of full-time. Mm -hmm. And I think I was tired. <laughs> yeah. It was nice to be in one place and yeah. do still continue to do all of those things. I mm -hmm. think that's the best thing about a university teaching job is it allows you the, well, still the opportunity to be who you are and do mm -hmm. what you do, the creative freedom while still, mm -hmm. while having uh, a stability in sure. your life. You know, as you uh, could we talk a little bit about maybe some of your teachers, your influences along the way? Sure. Uh, my, I did my undergrad at University of Idaho with Robert Spevacek, and he was a big, a big influence for me. His teacher was Arnold Jacobs, and as a result, <laughs> I, I had two lessons with Arnold Jacobs, 
it was, uh, which was life changing. You know, mm -hmm. it was uh, just simply because it was Arnold Jacobs, you know. Right. <laughs> and, um, and I did my master's at Northwestern with Rex Martin. Mm -hmm. and then my doctorate at Arizona State University with Sam Palafian. And each of those, I think, is, you know, it was uh, an important piece of my education and my growth as a person and a musician. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have been ready for one thing before the other. Mm -hmm. You know, and thinking about how things evolve and where we end up and why we end up there, I think... Mm -hmm. I think your life evolves in a way that you need it to. And mm -hmm. uh, so that was, yeah. And then Sam Palafian was really mm -hmm. integral in helping develop or pushing me to develop the, the band blast off brass rap mm -hmm. idea and uh, to make that a thing. Mm -hmm. He's like, who's doing that? You should do that. Right. <laughs> That's Finding cool. Your niche. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, did you seek out uh, Rex or was it just, I want to go to Northwestern? Or did, and, you know, uh, I mean, that's an easy question yeah. to answer for Sam because, you know, Sam was Sam, right? Everybody wanted right. to study with him. Right. But what, what about uh, Rex? You know, I think it was, uh, it was sort of an equal. I really, I had a couple of friends who had gone to Northwestern and like, oh, this is the brass mecca. You've got to go here. Mm. And, uh, at which point I learned about Rex Martin and I thought, okay, mm -hmm. well, I, I think I'd like to study with that person. Mm -hmm. And that was a hugely influential year in my life, being able to, well, being surrounded by great musicianship and great mm -hmm. brass playing, being able to attend Chicago Symphony, right? Uh, the student tickets, you know, the student rush tickets every weekend. So and, it was, was Bacorny in the symphony at that time? Yes. Yes, Bercorny was uh, had just made that transition, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a great year for growth. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I had a class with Vince Chikowitz, and it was a an orchestra rep class, and it was it was just it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, talking about the sounds of different orchestras and why they played it a certain way, how it was interpreted. Mm -hmm. And it was great conversation during mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's interesting. I, I talked to Peter Bond yesterday with the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, and he was talking about the days where you could put on a record, a record, <laughs> and, and listen to an orchestra and immediately recognize who the principal trumpet was. Um, right. You know, would you look at that? Uh, could you listen to groups and know who that tuba player was? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you're right about that. I think the current generation, when I ask my students, they say they found this really cool recording on YouTube. And I'm like, oh, great. Who's playing? And they're, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not really sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a different, different generation for mm -hmm. sure. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, yes, you could listen to a record, a recording, and be able to identify who that was playing. Mm -hmm. Is that the same for you? No, you know, I guess I never really thought of it that way. I, really? I guess I was listening more broadly, you know, just, okay. uh, and, and I didn't know back then. I didn't know I was supposed to listen for you know, certain things. Right. Um, but I listen way more attentively these days, Yeah, you know. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, I think you mentioned your teachers, but what about influences? I mean, did you have the Al Hurt, the Doc Severinsen of the tuba um, mm. that, that you were like seeking yeah. out concerts and, you know, I think my my first introduction to solo to a solo tubist or a professional tubist, my high school band director gave me an album of Roger Bobo, Gravity is Light Today, and it was a mm -hmm. solo album. And man, I wore the grooves out on that <laughs> album. I it was uh, yeah, it was enlightening. So that in high school, that was definitely an inspiration, mm -hmm. as well as uh, somebody gave me a uh, a CD of Sam Palafian, Travel and Light. Oh, that yeah. was the first. <laughs> that was eye opening too. Of like, wow, I had no idea the tuba could do that. Mm -hmm. So it was these the two extremes and. Those were my two inspirations early on, for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, I think, would you consider yourself an inspiration these days for, for younger players? Well, I, I say this <laughs> very humbly, but I hope to be. Yes, I, I hope that I am. Uh, you know, I, I love teaching. I'm very passionate about teaching equally mm -hmm. to playing. And um, yeah, it, looking back at the generations of low brass players, tuba players in particular, and uh, being more male dominated and being a woman in the field, I think there are a lot more female tuba players these days as mm -hmm. a result of there being role models mm -hmm. uh, for those women to pursue a career mm -hmm. playing the tuba. Yeah. One of my exciting. one of my dear friends, Melissa Williams, is a tuba player. Oh yes, you know Melissa? Melissa. Oh, I love her. She's <laughs> wonderful. Amazing. Well, she has done more for me, uh, and we're we're great friends. Um, but she helped me get into a regional orchestra almost twenty years ago now, and has just been a great supporter. She's a heck of a tuba player. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. A, yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, she's really great. Um, That's great. Please tell her hello if you see her anytime soon. We have, I will. Our paths I have not crossed in a while. Yeah. Um, so I know that was kind of a loaded question to ask you. Are you, do you consider yourself an inspiration? But um, isn't it hard to talk about ourselves, you know, to, I, I want to be humble, right? <laughs> you right. know, but, right. um, but I'll say it. I think you're a terrific inspiration to an awful lot of people. I mean, oh, you look you. at, especially look at the legacy of, uh, at Arizona State and to see the size of the studio and people flocking your way and, uh, you know, people taking your commissions and, you know, oh, it's thank like, you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. Um, thank you. So, well, this has been a real treat, I, you know. Um, thank you. Likewise, it's so nice to, well, it's, it's nice to talk shop and catch yeah. up a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, and the good thing about this is I can't ask you about mouthpieces because it wouldn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know what mouthpiece do you play what you know uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna matter. but <laughs> right. um but uh let me ask you just a little bit about eastman um, okay, sure. uh you're, you're still affiliated with uh with them as an artist mm -hmm. is that right yes yeah uh, yes it, i love um you know real and talking earlier about relationships uh i well over the past few years every time i would play one of their tubas it was better and better and better. The development, the continual development of the instrument um, 
and they have great people working with them and for them on mm-hmm. on the tuba line specifically. Yeah. Uh, and in the past, I had had a relationship with Eastman and Accent mm-hmm. because they were partners at some point. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it was about the relationship, the people, mm-hmm. as well as the instrument. Um, mm-hmm. I am incredibly happy. I want to play an instrument that I enjoy playing. Right. The relationship is also important to yeah. me, you know, the, yeah. the human element of it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, so. there, there's a lot of really good people uh, yeah. working for Eastman right now. And yeah. uh, I would agree, they're really good at the relationships. And it's a sincere relationship, you know. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. So... Thank you for being part of this today. And you know, there's a question I ask every trumpet player. So the studio HFL podcast, right? What does the HFL stand for? Have fun later. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. but wait, I want to have fun now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, see, it's higher, faster, louder, which you oh. know, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit the tuba world, but. That's why I don't oh. know. <laughs> So, oh. I'm honored that you would invite a, a tubist to oh, this join. Oh, this is this has been podcast. great. Thank you so much. It's been yeah. great. So, thank you. And uh, uh, stay healthy, please. Best of luck with uh, getting through the summer and hopefully back into the classroom on campus, right in the fall. Uh, a recommendation while thinking about the other trumpet player <laughs> in the quintet. Um, Buddy Deschler is his name, and he oh, plays yeah. with Dallas Brass, and he has a, he's organized uh, uh, two brass workshops on the East Coast, Fredericksburg Brass and and another, and he also has, uh, he's developed a, like a whole series of workshops that he calls the Entrepreneurial Student, mm-hmm. and so if you're if you're looking for younger um, up and coming up and you know he right. he's arrived. I mean he's really amazing. He's yeah. incredible. You he's know, very savvy with uh, yeah online marketing strategies and stuff. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Same, Larry. Thanks so much. Right. It's nice to see you again. Thank you very All much. Right. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks everybody for listening to today's interview. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll come back next week for another great interview. Just a reminder that you can help support this podcast by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash studio h-f-l. You can become a subscriber for as little as $3 a month or a sponsor for as much as $20 to $50 a month. I'd like to thank again the sponsors for this podcast, Messina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and Pickett Blackburn, all three companies providing excellence in their products and customer service. Be sure to check them out at messinacovers.net, the Eastman Music Company at eastmanwins.com, and Pickett Blackburn at picketblackburn.com. Thanks again. Now, go practice. <laughs>